Well, it's been a great morning, hasn't it? <laughs> what, a, what a great time it was in the baptistry. We took a picture of everybody on the steps of the baptistry and uh, pretty much filled it from top to bottom as we uh, got ready for baptism today. So, families, thank you for being here. It's great to have this great turnout of grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and parents. It's great to have you here today. And um, I am in Colossians chapter 3 today in the series called A Place for Faith. And last week I talked about baptism, and you're going to see some lines that are drawn from chapter 2 into chapter 3 as we begin to read about raising and burying and dying, raised with Christ, and all of that teaching that we saw last week in baptism, A Place for Faith. Before we ever brought the children and adults into the baptistry, I said to them, now, this is just regular water. It can't save you. This water can't save you. Only Jesus saves. Amen? And so people have to be saved. They have to receive Christ, confess Him as Lord. Before we go into the drama, the picture, the presentation of baptism, which declares their faith in Christ, declares the death and burial uh, and resurrection of Jesus, declares the old is gone, the new has come. So, very dramatic and wonderful picture of baptism. I remember being baptized in the Crow Wing River when I was seven years old in uh, northern Minnesota. It was very cold in that river. So, I remember that, trusting Christ before that, and uh, we are grateful to see God at work in so many ways in our congregation of faith. Next week, I'm going to talk about culture, a place for faith. If you're worried about the culture, worried about how things are going, how morals and values in our country are deteriorating, then you may want to come and just see what faith does in that place, how we bring faith to the cultural questions of our day, and how we live in faith even when those uh, cultural forces and winds don't favor the Word of God and the teachings of Scripture. And then two weeks from today, on October 30th, I'm going to preach on politics a place for faith. Both of these messages will come right out of the book of Colossians. We'll be looking at Paul's teaching about how we relate to culture. I think it's important for us to operate in faith at this time as we're facing our national elections as well as our statewide elections and to be people of faith as we discuss these things with others and to know that our faith and our politics are not separated any more than God and government is separated. While the institutions of church and state indeed have a distinction and separation, as Thomas Jefferson indicated, God and government can never be separated, nor can culture and faith, nor politics and faith. We bring these two, politics and government and culture, as people who live and work in these United States and in the systems, both government, educational, uh, and economic, in our country. Today, what I want to do is go from the point of baptism to talking about daily living. Daily living, a place for faith. I am going to use the text of uh, Colossians chapter 3 because it's aimed right at this question, how do I live daily as a new creation in Christ? How do I implement what baptism pictures? The old is gone, the new has come. How do I implement that in a practical way in my life? And if I'm struggling with attitudes and perspective, and I'm full of fear instead of faith, how can I change that? How can I change my daily routine so that my faith in Christ is expressed and I 
know the security of trusting him and every day I'm experiencing his love and joy and peace regardless of the circumstances so that's where I'm headed this morning in Colossians chapter 3 and this is a wonderful text it is a marvelous text and uh, I hope that you'll just listen up and read through I'm in the the new international version verse 1 of Colossians 3 says since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Reading through that, I, I just think of someone who told me yesterday how they had a family gathering, and God worked in that gathering so that an old conflict in the family was resolved through forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and love toward one another. Now, these verses are dramatic and beautiful. And many of them, uh, of us here, have read them and been instructed by them in the past. There are three paragraphs in the New International Version here, and each of the lead sentences summarizes the whole truth in the paragraph. So it's, it's very clear. And what I'd like to do is take those three paragraphs and suggest three things that you can do every day that will help you live out life as a new creation, all right? That will help you live the baptism that is declaring your death to the old life and resurrection to the new life. And the first paragraph is about how you set the compass of your mind and heart. So I'm going to suggest that you arise to an upward focus. All right? So that's the first paragraph. Arise to an upward focus. When you get up, focus upward. The second paragraph is about things you need to get rid of. 
And most of us, after we get up in the morning, we take a bath or a shower. So I'm going to talk about clean up your act. And we're going to look at these things that are listed in that paragraph. So you get up with an upward focus, you clean up your act, and then that third verse says you need to put these things on. So clothe yourself. So I'm going to talk about how you get dressed for success as a believer. All right? So it's very simple. Arise to an upward focus. Clean up your act. And get dressed for success. That's the three paragraphs. All right? Now, I meet a lot of Christians who seem to me to be looking down a lot, worried, complaining, shaking their head, afraid of what's coming on the world, sometimes even their hearts failing them for fear of the things that are coming on the world, full of anxiety and cares, laden down with cares. So I'm going to suggest that when you get up in the morning, you do what the Scripture says here. Since you then have been raised with Christ, that's how this whole passage starts. You've been raised with Christ. Now, what the apostle is going to do is take the resurrection of Jesus, which is from the ground into the air. He's coming from down to up. He's going to take this resurrection, not only of Jesus, but the fact that you were raised also with him. You died with him and you were raised with him. That's what we saw last week. So he's going to take this word raised. He's going to say, I want you to remember you've been raised. You've been raised. You're higher than you used to be because Jesus is in your heart. He's done something new in you. And so since you have this truth about you, there's a possibility for you that didn't exist before. Now, if you've not been raised with Christ, none of this is going to make sense to you. I want you to keep listening, all right? And I want you to abandon the conversation. But it's hard to get in the mindset if you've never been raised with Christ because being raised with Christ brings a lot of joy. There was so much joy back there in the dressing rooms as these uh, candidates got ready for baptism. It was a very fun and wonderful place to be. And there was laughter and people were excited. This being raised with Jesus is a wonderful experience of grace in anybody's life. So we've been raised now with Christ. So in the morning, when you get up and you roll out of bed and you put your feet on the floor, this week, I want you to say your homework here. I've been raised with Christ. You can go ahead and stand up. I've been raised with Christ. And I'm going to set my heart on things above. And I'm going to set my mind on things above. That's the instruction right here. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Why would I do that? That's where Christ is, okay? So you've trusted Christ, so you're looking to Christ. Where's Christ? He, that's where he is seated at the right hand of God. So, in my heart, these are my affections, my desires, my passions, all right here in the center of my being, which is represented by the word heart. Set your heart, your passions, your desires. Set your heart upon something higher now. Set your heart upon Christ. So I swing out of bed, I put my feet on the, on the floor, and I say, Lord, I've been raised with you. And I'm setting my passions, my desires on you today. And I'm setting my mind on you. That's the next thing it says. Set your minds on, on, earth, on heavenly things, not on earthly things. 
because you've been raised with Christ. Now, your mind represents your mindset, your perspective, your outlook, and your attitude. So as you get up in the morning, put your feet on the ground. Say, Lord, I've been raised with you, and I'm setting my heart on you, my passion, my ambition, my desires, and I'm setting my mindset on you. So this day, I'm going to live in a mindset that is looking unto Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my faith. See, what God's begun in these candidates for baptism, He's going to continue till they arrive in heaven. They're not done yet, and neither are you done yet. There's a lot God has to do in you. So, as He continues His work in you, you cooperate with Him by focusing on Christ, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, by making your mind and your heart centered there. And then you note, for you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Some of you feel very vulnerable to all kind of forces in our world. You're worried about whether they're going to come and get you. Now, I want you to think about your life being hidden with Christ in God. The word is crypto, from which we get cryptic. And the main teaching of being hidden with Christ in God is this. You are secure. You're secure in Him. I don't know if Paul may be thinking about how Jesus said, you are in my hand and you are in the Father's hand. And he said in, in John, it's like, I am in the hand of Christ. And he's got his hand around me and then the Father puts his hand around me. And that is a picture of the eternal security I have in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where you are. There's a great security there if you can think of yourself that way. So, I mean, what can, what can get to you? Tribulations, distress, famine, persecution, nakedness, pearl, peril, or the sword? No, Paul says. Can any of these things get to me? I am more than conqueror through Christ who loves me. I want you to get in this place where you are secure in the Christ who has saved you, who is finishing his work in you. So you get out of bed and you say, I am raised with Christ. Thank you, God. I set my heart upon you. I set my mind upon you. My life is hidden in you. This is a wonderful place to be, and it's where God wants you every day. It changes the way the day unfolds when you know that you are hidden with Christ in God. Now, the Scripture says here, so that when Christ appears, we also will appear with Him in glory. This is a wonderful perspective to hold, okay? I'm living my life down here. The waves are raging around me. But I'm looking unto Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the throne, and I know that one day when He appears, I'm going to appear with Him. I'm joining with him in his victory. This is where I'm headed. So I know who I am. I've been raised with Christ. I know what my mission is to live out the life of Christ. I know where I'm going. I'm going to glory where Jesus is. I was visiting with one of the sweetest people in our church. She's a widow. 
And she, she related to me her husband's death. He was near death. He was bedridden and just a few days from going to heaven. And he knew it and she knew it. And she started praying and thanking God for all the things that he gave them through their long marriage. Sitting there beside him and praying with him. And she went through this long list of things. And when she got to heaven... She said her husband raised both his hands and began to just shout, glory, glory, glory. And she said, I knew that he was enjoying the presence of God and looking forward to being in heaven with Jesus. It's a reality, folks. We believe God made us for himself. We believe Jesus went to prepare a place for us. We believe he's coming back to get us. This is the inexplicable, unexplainable love of God that comes upon us this day and every day. He loves us so much, he wants us with him eternally. He made us not just for the present, but for an eternity with him. And he sent his son to rescue us and bring us into his family so that we could be saved and forgiven and live out this wonderful life. Our life is hidden with Christ in God, and when he appears, we also will appear with him in glory. A former pastor of this church, uh, R.G. Lee, they say on his deathbed, his wife of many years was sitting beside him, and, and he said, Honey, I see heaven, and I never did it justice in my preaching. Hey, I is not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into your heart or in the heart of any man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, there's a way to begin the day. Swing your feet out of the bed and say, I'm raised with Christ. Stand up and say, my heart fixed on you, Lord, my mind fixed on you. Now I'm headed for the shower. (laughs) Okay? So in verse 5, he takes his turn, and he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he talks about putting things to death. We're coming into that holiday season when the ghouls and the ghosts and all those creepy things are all around us. I was walking this morning in my front yard, and I came across a 15-foot ghoul in somebody's front yard just looking down at me in the early morning light. And uh, that's what happens at Halloween. Well, this word, put to death, is the word necros in the Greek. And from the Latin, we get words like mortify and mortician and mortality, all those words. We get the word uh, from the Latin mort and and morse. Uh, So the old Bible translated this, mortify, therefore, the deeds of the flesh. Kill them. What does that mean? How do I put to death evil desires? You wish you could, don't you? I mean, those evil desires raise their ugly head, and you don't want to do it, but yes, you do. And and you've got this tug of war going on in your heart, and you'd love to put it to death, that evil desire that trips you up, that brings you down. How do you do that? Well, the word mortify means to destroy the power of or to... Uh, take the power away from something. That temptation, that evil desire has a power over you. You can acknowledge that. 
Sometimes it's an amazing power that these things have over our minds and our hearts and our behavior. And as badly as we want to conquer them, we just can't seem to. And so Paul says, look, you've, you've, you've died with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. So there's some things that need to stay in the grave. They need to be dead. They need to die in your life. You need to put them to death. You need to take their power away. Part of the way that you take away the power of those evil desires is by focusing your heart on Christ and focusing your mind on Christ. So that first prayer is very important to putting these things to death. We've got to take them off. We've got to put them off. We need to be cleansed from them. We need to clean up our act as believers and put to death these evil desires. And he makes a list here that focuses on sexual immorality. It starts with sexual immorality and then it's lust and evil desires. And, and you can see that it has that uh, kind of group of words about sexual impurity. Why is that in the Bible? Because there's so much of it in the lives of people on the planet and it does so much harm to us. It hurts our relationships. It alienates us one from another. It turns us into things. We treat one another like things that just satisfy our evil desires instead of people with dignity and worth into whom uh, we invest our lives and, and have relationships. This, these evil desires turn people into objects all around us. And it's destructive. It's hard to have a relationship when you're, when you're thinking about people as objects that satisfy your desires. And so the scripture says you've got to put these things to death. Now, part of what you can do is when the temptation comes, you say, that's how I used to be. That's not me anymore. I think it helps to remind yourself who you are. So that when these temptations came, come, and maybe they had a big hold on you before you met Jesus, before you really confessed him as Lord, this was something that had a grip on your life, and it raises its ugly head, and you can say to that evil desire, that's not me anymore. Because if you've truly been raised with Christ, it's true. That's not you anymore. That's not the real you. It's not the new you that God has created in Christ and raised anew. You are a new creation, and that's not you anymore. So that's why the Scripture says here that that's the way we used to walk. You know, that's who we used to be. In the life you once lived, that's who you were. So establish the contrast as you clean up your act between who you are in Christ and who you used to be. And don't go back to the person you used to be. Then he has a second list. He has that first list that starts with sexual immorality, and then he goes to a second list. And he lists here the true culprits that really get to us. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. We suppose that the real culprits are the people that tick us off and set us off. Employees who make us angry and family members that... that uh, upset us and we get frustrated with them and we suppose that they are the problem in our life and if everybody would just let me control who they are and how they behave then we'd have great peace but of course I can't control other people it would be wrong for me to do so 
If I'm a controlling person, I'm manipulating people like they are things, and they're not things. All right? So, what's really at the heart of the strained relationships and the conflicts? It's anger, rage, slander, and malice. They're all listed right here. And they boil in our hearts. They are internal to us, not external to us. Part of the, of the mistake we make is supposing that our failures and our sins can be attributed to that out there. The devil made me do it, as one guy used to say all the time. And he attributed his evil desires and his failures to out there. And I'm not saying there's no devil. What I'm saying is it starts right here. It's right here in your heart. And maybe that's bad news. Maybe you're thinking, oh, man, that's tough to say that, that it's in me. But it's really good news, okay, because you can change what's going on in here. Now, God wants you to set aside anger, rage, malice, and slander. Maybe some of you have a default setting where you explode at certain things. And it's just the way you respond when somebody does something or says something or something happens. You just get mad. God wants to change that in your life. It's time to cleanse yourself from anger, rage, malice, and slander. Malice is you trying to hurt somebody else. You've got an intention to hurt your neighbor, your friend, or a family member. You want to hurt them with your words? Maybe you want to hurt them with your deeds. Slander is you talking about somebody in half-truths so that people get the false impression you're communicating enough truth that they think it's true, but you're saying about a half-truth so that they really think less of the person you're talking about. You are slandering them. You're saying a falsehood about them. These are things we cannot do as believers in Jesus. we got to set them aside. And this kind of talk linked with anger and rage destroys so many families and relationships now, there's this last thing in the list. Just like in the first list, he put greed, which is idolatry, and greed is all about covetousness. Now, he's got this last thing in this list. He goes through anger and rage and malice and, uh, and all those things, and then he says, and get rid of the filthy language. Maybe when you get in the shower, you get in the bath. Say, Lord... Cleanse me from the anger. Take it away. Help me not respond in malice. Help me not speak in slander about anybody. And Lord, wash my filthy language out of my life. You may be thinking, oh, I need to talk like that. Because that's the way the world talks. That's their vocabulary. That's how they, they think. And so I need to engage in this filthy language. But I want you to see that ever since language began... There have been words that are demeaning to the human spirit. They are vulgar and they are profane. The vulgarity demeans those around you and the profanity demeans God. So we are being profane with some words. But a lot of, uh, a lot of times people speak profanely. And it could be a habit in your life. Now, you've got a great opportunity here. There's someone in our church who told me recently, they said... When I had an experience with Christ and went back to school, my friends began to ask me, what happened to you? 
because I was so foul-mouthed before. And after Jesus really did his work in me, I didn't talk that way anymore. And they noticed immediately. Some of you have a great opportunity, okay? When you get in the shower and you pray and you're thinking, this is a brand new day. Lord, help me conquer the language that is demeaning to others and demeaning to you. Don't let it come out of my mouth. Set aside filthy language. You don't want to speak that anyway. People who are listening may be thinking, you know, those ugly words come out of an ugly heart. There's something ugly down deep inside of this person that needs to be cured. You don't know what they're thinking as you use those words. But you know what God's thinking because over and over again he says, get rid of it. Don't talk like that anymore. Clean up your language. And so this is the second thing, okay? I arise with an upward focus. I clean up my act. I confess unto God and I pray that God will help me be all he intends for me to be on this day. And then you have that final paragraph. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. He's got clothing for you. I know you probably went through your closet this morning. I'll bet you did. I know I did. I always do that. If I leave before Janet's up, I'm always a little insecure about my clothing because she's the one who checks me to make sure I look decent, okay? But uh, anyway, this is me now today. I left before she got up. And uh, this is my baptism clothes. See, I put on my short sleeve shirt because I always get my long sleeve shirts wet when I baptize. Even when you put on waders, your sleeves get wet. And so I've always had wet sleeves. I knew we had a bunch of people to baptize, so I picked this out today. And the Lord says to you, okay, you're starting your day, and you've got a wardrobe of attitudes to pick from. You're going to get dressed for this day. You have the opportunity to choose. You can actually choose your attitudes. And there are some things that look terrific on you, and they're consistent with the new you, with who you are. And these spiritual clothes, they make the man. They make the woman, all right? So the apostle says, get ready for the day by putting on compassion, which is you unleashing the power of God toward the needy in your life. So put that on. Put on compassion. Put on humility. This is you understanding how great God is. And not seeking your own ends, but seeking the good of others and of the Lord that you serve. Gentleness. This is you not responding harshly and bitterly and rudely to people around you. This is you holding in check those emotions so that you can be like your Lord who is described with this word. You put on these new clothes as you get ready for the day. And think about them. Think how beautiful, how powerful they are. Your identity is all wrapped up in them. Now, somebody came to church today having gone through a difficult week. Maybe you're in the biggest mess you've ever been in in your life. You trusted Jesus maybe years ago when you thought things were really going to go fine and you wouldn't have too many problems after knowing Jesus as Savior. And now 
it's as, it's as bad as it's ever been for you. And maybe part of it is your own doing. You've done this to yourself. You made some bad choices. You alienated some people. Some relationships broke because of behavior, words or deeds, attitudes. And these things have happened to you. Okay? I want to describe who you are. Are you with me? I'm going to describe who you are. You are God's chosen person. You are God's chosen. He looked all over the world and he said, I want you. You are God's chosen. You say, well, my life doesn't reflect that. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about God and what he's done and who you are. Okay? I'm not talking about your attitude toward yourself. You are God's chosen people. You trusted Jesus one day and confessed him as Lord. And God knew you'd be in the mess you're in right now. He knew it. When he saved you, when he chose you, when he put you on the book of life in heaven, when he wrote your name down, he knew this was coming. And he still picked you. You are God's chosen people. And you are holy. You don't feel holy. Maybe you've lived in some unholy ways, but you are holy in this way. When God chose you, he set you aside for his purpose. He dedicated you for his purpose. That's what holy means. So you are chosen and you have been set aside for his purpose. That's who you are. And one more thing. You are dearly loved. You are loved, but you are dearly loved. Can you receive that where you are in your present circumstance? Can you receive that you are God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved? If you can receive this truth about who you are, you can get up tomorrow morning and you can arise with an upward focus and you can put off what's not consistent with the new you and you could put on these clothes that get you ready for success in living the life of Christ. Bow with me, please. Somebody in the room needs to trust Jesus for the first time, right where you are, just to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. Would you pray that prayer unto God, receiving Christ as Lord? Somebody in the room's done that, but you never really followed through, never really grew up in Christ. And God's calling you to a new day and a new walk with Him. And maybe this message has touched your heart, and these scriptures have got a hold of you, and you know you haven't been living as the new you. And so your decision today is God, bring me back into fellowship with you. I present my body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto you. Maybe somebody needs to be saved. You've already trusted Jesus. You've not been baptized as a believer. Maybe you need a church home. This is the moment. Lord, we pray that we will honor you, that we will follow you by responding to the prompting of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.